much again for this day, and thank you, Lord, for things that we've heard in testimonies, in prayer requests, and now, Lord, we come to this most important time of the week when we ask that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and, and teach us, Lord, and feed our souls. Oh, how we need to hear from heaven in the midst of all the clamor and all the noise and all the things that seem to vie and grab our attention here. We need a word from heaven. And so we pray that you take the word from Dr. Luke's gospel and teach us, Lord, and apply these things and change us, every one of us, Lord. For those of us who know you, that will increase in our ability to, by the power of God, to resist sin in our life. We're so weak and vulnerable, subject to temptation. We fail. We fail daily, Lord. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Pick us up. And, and, and Lord, wipe our hearts clean. For those here that know not Christ may today for the first day, they see the weight of their sin, their lostness. And that man or woman, boy or girl, call on the name of the Lord and be saved, we pray. So we ask, Lord, that you take the word now and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, take your Bible and look at uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. I've entitled the message, God in King." seems like so long ago, maybe you think of it as I do, but it seems like so long ago that I grew up in, uh, in our neighborhood. And when I look at the calendar, it has been a few, uh, few months have passed. And, <laughs> but uh, it's so funny because my mind goes back to that, and I, I think about those early years with such vividness. The last 20 is sort of a blur, but I can remember things back when in the neighborhood and my friends and their names and all of that and stuff we used to with such clarity. In fact, that's what they say about having old friends. You never see them old. You never see them old. In fact, my pastor friend who's now in heaven who mentored me, Pastor Strong, said, you know, you always feel like you're 28 in here, but then you look around and one day you realize you're hanging around with all these old guys. And he goes like, what am I doing that? I don't, and then you look in the mirror and you go like, ah, I've joined them. You know, like, holy cow. But it, I, I think back in our neighborhood, and it was one of those sweet little idyllic neighborhoods. Houses were close. We could reach out and, and do a high five with my neighbor, you know, Tommy Murphy, across the bedroom. I mean, that was like that kind of a suburban setting. And uh, with elm trees and streets paved and sidewalks and all that. And everybody kind of looked out for everybody's kids, you know. I got in trouble. My father found out more stuff through the neighbor's parents, you know. Hey, I'm telling your father on you. Like, you know, they really did today. It was like, yeah, I get lost. You know, you would never do anything. You wouldn't do that today. People just aren't neighborly like they once were. I, there's been a change, I think. But anyway, I, I say all that to say across the street was a, a, a friend of mine, childhood friend, Nick Rosart. Nicky Rosart, his dad worked at the paper mill. And uh, Nick was uh, unusual. Nick was a few years older. You know how it is, the guys that were older, you're like, oh, you're like in awe of them when you're like eight and they're like 12. And you're like, I'll never make it to 12. You know, like, and they're strong and they'll beat you up if you don't follow them and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of the neighborhood I grew up in. Good neighborhood, though. And Nick, Nick, I would always say with such pride, he, he would say, you know, he said, I have dual citizenship. I said, really? And he would talk like it was like an aura. And I always thought there must be something really special about Nick Rosart that he had dual citizenship. He go, I go, well, how is that? And here I'm like eight years old. I don't even know what really citizenship is. 
haven't taken civics yet or something, but I had an idea of where Americans, you know. We said, well, my father's French-Canadian, and my mother, she's American, and I'm the oldest in the family, and I don't have to declare a one citizenship till I'm 18, and until that time, I'm considered a having Canadian in the United States citizenship. I'm like, wow, isn't that that's something? Isn't that neat? I wish I had that. Dad, how come you married an American woman? You know, like, <laughs> anyway, I say all that because that's exactly what Luke is going to talk about in the words of the Lord Jesus, reminding us, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ in a far greater way than a Canadian and an American citizenship, you too have a dual citizenship, and you don't have to decide when you're 18. Some of you are almost there. You don't have to decide about that. either one. You, you keep, keep them. And so we are, on my introduction on your, on, your, on your sheet, as Christians, we're presently citizens of two different worlds. One is temporary, and the other is eternal. One involves a human government, and the other is God's kingdom. That's, that's really great. I've had occasion to travel. I studied in South America in high school and have had the privilege, it is a privilege, to travel and see. And uh, it was not of my doing at all, but uh, to discover that to be an American in the world is to be the envy of so many places. There's so many places that like, oh, you're an American. Even when Faithy and I serve the Lord in Qatar, you know, the cuttery, you know, they're, they're the elitists, they're the wealthy. And then there's a whole packing order down to the little people that do all the work. And they're like no names. But the, on, one underneath the, uh, the cuttery are the United States of America. You're, oh, you're, oh, you're American. I go like, yeah. And I go like, oh, thank you. I had no choice in the matter. Neither did you last time I checked. And God allowed us the blessed privilege of being the ancestry of those who, who emigrated here and established this and, and fought for freedom by the end of a gun. Don't ever forget, freedom was won by the end of a gun. There's not, not a problem with a gun in the hand of a righteous man or woman. I mean, it's kind of a crazy day we live in. Anyway, that's another thing. But, uh, but here we are. And to be an American... Wow, you know, with all the problems and warts and all of that in a fallen world, but to be an American, and that even more in a far infinite greater way, to be a Christian, I mean, it's the, I, I really, we're so privileged to be the, the best of the best, and none of it was our doing. Our folks gave birth to us, and here we are, we just dropped here, and we're like, oh, you're a natural, you're, you're a citizen. And God called us, as calling an election, he didn't, he didn't vote for you because you were, you're obviously weren't handsome or more beautiful or great personality or high gifted and talent, but we were sinners lost and for his grace alone he called us. And if you know him, he has saved you. And we're citizens uh, here and now, but one that's eternal. What an, what an amazing reality to live with that. Both of these kingdoms on your sheet place obligations on us. We just passed that wonderful tax day, right? Did you get it in, or did you have to file an extension? I know Greg, Greg and, and we prayed for Greg and Maggie. They looked exhausted the last several weeks. Did you see them? I think they were leaning coming into worship here. And I said, he was at the office after midnight and all that kind of business to get the tax filed. We have obligations. 
I said before, with the income tax, did you realize it's a voluntary submittal? There are people that, that really mean that, think that that word voluntary means something, and so they volunteer not to submit their income tax filing, right? And so the government has to voluntarily submit them to prison. So it sort of works that way. So don't, <laughs> words have meaning, but be careful what's the real meaning behind that. April 15th, there's an obligation to report to uh, the government uh, our filing. We know that. Well, Jesus, uh, in our text this morning, is only days from his death. He's days from it. He's in the last week. And he's teaching in the temple of Jerusalem. How great was that? His enemies hated him and were conniving to put him to death. He had embarrassed them with a yes and no question. You know, John the Baptist's baptism, was it of heaven or earth, right? Yes or no. Was it of heaven? Well, then the Pharisees, they said, well, and the scribes, well, if we say of heaven, they'll say, well, why didn't you believe it? But if we say uh, it's of earth, the people believed it, and they'll, they'll kill us or leave us or do something. <laughs> so they were afraid of the people. And so they couldn't answer. So they were embarrassed there in their high moment, there in Jerusalem, there in this last week. And so now they're turning the tables, and they're going to try to embarrass the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to try and trick him with uh, a discussion of religion and politics. Religion and politics. Don't they say there, there are a couple things you should never talk about? Do you ever hear that? Don't ever talk about Uncle Harry's coming over to dinner. Don't bring it up. You know, <laughs> It'll ruin dinner, right? Yeah, oh, you're nodding like, yeah, oh boy, we've been there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's sure to cause a battle, right? Religion or politi politics? He's a Democrat, you know, or, or, oh, he's a Republican, or he's a, you know, he's a communist. Or, I don't know. Who knows, right? Don't bring it up. And then, and then another subject, sure to cause a fight, they tell us, although I spend my whole time talking about the word, a lot of it, religion. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, and, and, and Phil Riken writes, if uh, they bring up a, a battle, but if you want a war, Take your religion and apply it to your politics, and you're going to have a bombed-out war. You mean your faith ought to inform your politics? What are you, a Neanderthal? Absolutely not. And we go like, well, yeah, I think we should. All truth is God's truth, and so on and so forth. Well, they're going to try and trick him with this, this old line. And Jesus' response to them, you should note, as uh, Jace read, is the most instructive directive we, we have in understanding our role as citizens, dual citizens, of two governing realms. He says, render to Caesar, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. And we're going to discover here that uh, Jesus is going to answer arguing from the lesser to the greater. Some of you have taken logic and debate, and some of you have been on debate teams and all that, and so you understand that principle. You go from the lesser to the greater. He's going to go from the Caesar, the king, to the greater, to God. The earthly kingdom to God's kingdom, and talking about, in this very clarifying statement, the obligations that you and I have as Christians living in both realms. It's not an either-or. We're going to see that. And so there are two governing realms in the Christian's life calling us to give each their respective due. Each one of these. The first one is the lesser, verses 19 uh, through 25a, 
Uh, we discover that Christ, as Christians, we have a God-ordained responsibility to give uh, to Caesar. Now, you're not, but don't, don't tune me out. Understand, I realize we don't have a Caesar. You know, uh, I, I, we have a president. We have a representative form of government. We're not a democracy. Democracy is everyone would vote on everything. I'd be like crazy land. Uh, you know, like, but we have representatives that represent and make the law. We have an executive branch with the president and all of that on a federal level, governor and all that on a state level, and then local township level or city, different forms of that same three branches of government. But for the sake of the word government, earthly government, let's call it the king, let's call it Caesar, if we will, and uh, recognize that you and I have God-given responsibility to give uh, uh, even unto our government. The, the joy that we have in human history, this human experiment of, of the United States of America, where someone actually lets us, we, we get a voice, we get to say something, yes or no. You know, like, I want him, I want her, no, I don't. Or I won't renew that judge, or this kind. We actually have a little say, rather than say, that's the way it is, if you don't like it, we'll kill you. And that's the way it's been in a lot of places and a lot of years since the fall. And so we get this uh, neat thing called uh, the Republic of the United States of, of America. Well, let's, uh, let's just relook at the text again and find the setting and read it in verse 9. The scribes, I'm in, in Luke 20, verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them but they feared the people. So they watched him. They were like watching him continually. They're sending spies who were hypocrites. The word pretended is a Greek word hypocrite. They're pretending to be sincere. They're phony baloney. It's a setup. And that for the purpose they might catch him in something he said, they're going to trick him so they deliver him up to what? The Roman government. And so they ask him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality. That's a great description, isn't it? I'd say, Lord, would that be true of me? Now, they're just setting them up. They're baiting him. They don't, you know, they, they didn't believe what he took. They're trying to trick him and kill him, right? And they're trying to get someone else to, to do that for them and, and watching the whole thing. But what a great thing to say, Lord, you know, uh, that I teach uh, and, and, and do it straight. It's the word ortho, orthodox, straight teaching. And the second thing, that uh, I don't show uh, partiality. Uh, what a thing, great thing, not to be a respecter of person, that we speak the word of God and we cut it straight, no matter who's there. We're all creatures made in God's image. We all stand on the same, and, and, and to say, cutting it straight and no respecter of person. Don't soften the message. And they're saying, Lord, that's what you are in trying to bait him. Well, the, let's look. The setting and the setup. The tension is building. The crowds are thronging around Jesus, thousands of them, because just for a moment, a taste of God's kingdom was on earth as Jesus taught and healed the sick in the temple. What a glorious moment it was. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Here's God himself. And for just a moment, an instant, in human history, in this fallen, death-filled, sick-filled, broken world of ours, 
Here's the Lord of glory in the temple, his house, his father's house, teaching the way of God and healing all. It was like a reverse of the curse for just a moment. It gives us a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like and, and the full visible manifestation when our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come and rule and reign among his people. There'll be no sick. Hey, guess what? Isn't that be great? No hospitals. Faithy had surgery here the other uh, a week ago. She's still struggling with some, some glare. I want to pray for her with that. But uh, no, no more hospital, no more cataract surgery, no more of that. And amen, good riddance, right? And I've often said, Mark, I'm not sure if you're going to be in business. You won't be in those. All teeth will be straight and never wear out. Those grinders won't be few, like Solomon said. <laughs> It'd be great. Some of you will be out of a job. You'll have to be doing something else. I don't, I don't know. Some of you, and, and those in legal area, I guess, right? I'm going to bring the, before the, before the law. Some of you are paralegal. <laughs> Will there be lawsuits in heaven? I don't think so. Yeah, no disputes, right? That's hard to, it's hard to even fathom, really. No doctor visits. Some of you, like uh, Florida, that's God's waiting room. And we saw it with, uh, you knew that, right? It's God's way. I mean, it's the, the Rolodex are all the specialties, and it's the big thing. Oh, I'm going to this one in the morning. Check my eyes, and we got lunch. Then I'm going to the, uh, you know, the other, and that's the big day. They get all gussied up, and there they go. And that's none of that. For a moment in the temple, it was a touch of heaven on earth. Wow, what a glorious moment it was. Well, the plan, draw Jesus into a trap where he either had to support Rome or flush him out as a rebel of the state. Either he'd lose the followers who hated Rome or he would be charged for insurrection and executed by Rome. A couple chapters later, they're going to take his words in our text here and they're going to twist it before the government and say that he said, don't pay taxes. They twisted his word. You know, there are a lot of folks that twist the words of Scripture and twist the Lord's word. You see it right here in Luke 23, verse 2, where he said not to pay taxes. Well, they're trying to flush him out. Flushing him out, that's a good word. When I was a kid, we'd go hunting and, uh, with my father and uh, a bunch of the older guys, and my brother and I, uh, they did it. They were different, di different Mark, up in, in uh, New York, Western New York. You couldn't use a rifle. You had to use a deer slug because... Uh, well, there were a lot of hunters around, I guess, and they didn't want to go in a mile. And deer slug doesn't go a mile, I don't think. So they would what they post the woods, and they put all the old timers along the uh, perimeter, and they like, oh, you're young, you're gonna, you're gonna go, th we're gonna flush them out. They're gonna come running through the woods, and we're gonna put them down when they cross the road here. This kind of thing, and they had some good shots. Mel Foles, my dad's uh, friend. He was dead-eyed dick. Okay, he was, you'd like him. Holy cow. He was a police officer. I was, I was glad he was a good shot. Anyway, so we'd be flushing him out, and I'd go, and those guys count one shot, one deer. And I was like, uh, second time doing it, I think, and I'm shooting at everything. I'm going through. I saw a turkey. I shot at him. I shot, the, I shot at some white tails. I didn't hit anything. And they're like, oh, we got one. They're hearing the sounds, right? Two. Like one shot, you got them. One, I'm, I'm supposed to be flushing them out, and they're like putting them down, and they're counting, that they're eating already the deer liver that night. That's what they did. It was kind of strange. Well, it was tasty. It was pretty good. Anyway, so then I found out, wait a minute, you're not, when you're flushing them out, you're not supposed to be shooting unless you're right on time. If you shoot and miss, then they cut your, uh, they cut your 
you're, yeah, they were cutting it all up. I had pieces of mine hanging on the cabin, and I had no deer. Finally, on Sunday, I did get some rabbit that time. But anyway, that's another, flushing them out. And that's what they're going to do to the Lord. They're going to flush him out now. They're, I mean, it's within days of the cross. They're hating him. You can feel the tension. They're going to flush. He's either going to be for Rome or against Rome. And if he's for Rome, he's going to lose the crowd that hates Rome. Or uh, if, he's, uh, if he's against Rome, then the Roman soldiers are going to come as an insurrectionist and a re re rebel, and they're going to kill him because Rome could never stand uh, opposition. They would, like, they would crush him. They would crush him. And it, we saw that carried out just like that. And so the plan is, B, simple question. Is it lawful, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Simple question. It's a simple yes and no. You know there are some questions that are not legitimate? Do you know that? There are some questions that are not legitimate and almost are immoral. Think about that. Yeah, that's some of the frustration. I think in law school, if you watch Perry Mason and some of the recent things, they learn how to ask questions. And it's like to get the witness on the stand, you know, and, is, and they'll say a yes and no. And it's, you see the witness frustrated because it's not a yes and no answer and he wants to give an explanation. But the attorney or the prosecutor wants to make a case. And so they force them into a yes and no under the threat of perjury or something like that. But there are some questions that uh, are really are immoral to, uh, or are just an improper or it's a question that's illegitimate. Uh, in a yes or no. Let me give you an example. Uh, you know, there are some things sometimes people say, you, you, you know, uh, are you, uh, ha, are, are, have you stopped beating your dog? Now you answer that yes or no. Stop beating my dog. If I say yes, that means I beat him. And if I say no, that's even worse. I'm still beating him. You see what I'm saying? And you can think of a whole series of questions like that that are not legitimate, and to answer them either way uh, would not give the right idea and uh, would give the wrong answer and could lead to an immoral outcome insofar as thinking. So when they, they've, got, they've got the word, so they think, we're going to ask, now this is the genius of genius, the creator of all things. He is Aletheia. He is truth. We got him. Gotcha. It's one of these gotcha moments. We pay taxes to Caesar or not? Simple question. Answer it. Yes or no? And the Lord of glory, of course, is uh, too brilliant to be caught in their trap. And so he's going, to, uh, he's going to ask for a demonstration. He's going to ask them a question in return. You know what? You can ask a question, and that's a fair response. And that's what our Lord does, and, and so on. So what, what are we talking about? Uh, they were talking this tax is a poll tax. A poll tax it was a tax that Rome required in their empire uh, out of every male, the male uh, 14 to 65, and a female 12. The girls had to pay two years earlier. Everyone knows the girls developed sooner than the boys. You know, that's obvious. So, and, and in that day, you know, the girls uh, actually had children when they were quite a bit younger. Lifespans were maybe 38 years, 40, 42, 45. So they had their babies very, very early. Mary might have been around 13, 14 when she uh, conceived uh, that virgin birth uh, of, of the Lord. So the, the, in Rome, the, just to show that from 12 to 65, you, you, pay, you paid for the privilege of existing in the Roman world. How about that? Hey, you're breathing, you're staying on Roman Empire, uh, you owe a day's wage. That's what it was. 
Uh, a, a denarius is one day's wage. Now, we think that's funny because we pay, you know, per, per professions and training, or we think of minimum wage, or we think of labor wages or union wages, and we go like, a, denar- a day's wage? How could they ever figure that out? Because everyone today has a different wage scale and blah, 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 and all that kind of thing. But in that, in that ancient day, a denarius was pretty well considered to be a day's wage. And in that day, you got paid daily. You know, you didn't know if you were going to show up the next day, so you got paid at the end of the day. The Romans required one day's pay, one denarius, uh, for the privilege of living. It wasn't onerous, wasn't huge, wasn't, uh, you, you know, regressive at all, but it was one day's pay. But the tax was hated. It was hated by the Jews. The Jews felt biblically that God owned the land, not the Romans, and the Romans were occupiers. Um, we, uh, in, in, in decades and decades and decades of time, we have not had foreign troops on American soil. Isn't that great? I mean, you think about uh, we're uh, foreign troops occupying foreign nations. Uh, we think back not too long ago, World War II, when you guys were over in Paris there, but when the, the uh, Nazi Germany occupied Paris. I, I don't know how long they occupied, any, a couple years anyway, right? Too long, yeah. They, I mean, the German troops occupying French and the rest of the European nations as, as the Third Reich spread out before they were ultimately defeated. Imagine foreign troops. That's a foreign thought for us. Think about it. Imagine if there were another nation's army occupying us, really siphoning off the wealth, going to a faraway place, and we, uh, we were like uh, servants, ultimately, of that other power that could execute us at any time. That's a strange thought to us because we're separated by oceans and we like, no, no, that's not going to happen, this kind of thing and all that. They were being occupied by the fierce Roman legions themselves and uh, they were collecting their tribute. And so they hated it. The zealous Jews hated that. And they hated uh, the rule of Caesar and all that over them. Well, in that day... um, um, uh, uh, Jesus' response was, uh, sh- give me or show me a denarium, is what he says in Greek. Give me a denarium. Who has one? And here's his answer. And so, uh, don't, don't read it too quickly. I think somebody in the crowd flips him a coin. And, and he catches it, and he holds it up, and he says, whose likeness is on this? And it's Tiberius Caesar. He was the emperor during this period of time in Rome. He'd only live a few more years. He died around 37 A.D. in the year of our Lord. And he said, whose image is on it? And it was, uh, it was Caesar's image. And whose inscription is it? Caesar had his great title and all of that uh, 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 to him. And so the Lord uh, uh, simply uh, he says to them by the very fact that they carry the Caesar's coin in their purse or pocket or whatever they had, uh, it condemned them already. For they acknowledged by their very carrying of that coin there on the Temple Mount that uh, they were in fact part of Caesar's governance. That his rule over them was in effect legitimate. And in that day, the king of the ruler who held power also had the right to make coined money. And uh, it, uh, it was real money. Uh, they began to debase it later, like you know, the sandwich coins from 1965. Remember that? You remember the, uh, the Kennedy silver quarters? 
Some of you still have some in your safe, do you? No, nobody. Some of you are naughty. So, and then 65, they came out with this nifty idea, right? We'll, we'll sandwich the coins. And, and if you read history, it's the beginning of uh, the basing of currency is the ruining of people. You know, it's no longer the metal worth, but uh, so on. Incidentally, your pennies, if you have pennies, keep your pennies. They're worth twice, uh, two cents for every penny. So that's not a bad investment. They get heavy after a while, and you got to carry them around. It didn't take you a whole a truckload to buy a car if you had them. Back up the truck, right? But they had the right to coin money. They, the ruler did. And they're, they're carrying in their own pockets uh, that which represents uh, Caesar's right to do that. Therefore, Jesus tells them, give to Caesar what belongs to him. I mean, the coin. It's his image on it, his words, his, uh, his adoration on the coin. Uh, and by this statement... Uh, Jesus gave the approval to human government, as it were, and we have certain human government or responsibilities to human government. And I remind you that uh, human government is uh, God's instrument uh, to suppress evil and to promote the common good in a fallen, broken world. There was no human government, from what we can tell, uh, up and through the days of Noah. None. And look what happened became a, a complete disaster, so much so that God destroyed the world, Genesis 6, 7, and 8, and then he created a, he, he uh, I gave a, a Noahic covenant to Noah and to his three sons and their wives when they came off the ark to be fruitful and fill the earth. And at that point in 9, 6 is the, the establishment of government. You say, where is it? Look at Genesis 9, 6. It's using man in the collective sense, referring to capital punishment, and the reason for that, now he's coming off the ark, they're re going to reestablish and refill the earth again, and all human blood and races come from Noah and his family in, in 9.6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, God says, by man, there it is, by man, circle it, it's the collective sense of, of mankind. By man shall his blood be shed. There's justice there, see? By man, in the collective sense. This is the seed form, the seminal thought of the beginning of the God-ordained government to be a suppression to evil. And even the worst case is mentioned here, capital crime such as murder. And the reason for, the word for is there, he's going to explain why. For God made man in his own image. That's man, that's men and women, that's mankind made in the very image of God. So if someone in anger with premeditation snuffs out the life uh, of another image bearer of God, justice is, in a collective sense, to be executed by the governing authorities that God has instituted called human government. And so uh, there's a lot in this answer by man. Uh, if you think that changed somehow with the New Testament, look at 1 Peter. Uh, chapter 2. He says even more detail here, and I remind you, Paul is, or, or Peter is presently living uh, in the Roman Empire at this time that he writes this. Nero is Caesar, that pervert of a, of a king there in Rome, who he, he finally would have Peter killed. Tradition tells us he was crucified upside down. He didn't want to be killed in the same way as the Lord Jesus, his Lord. And so he was killed just that way. Being a Jew, uh, he would be crucified 
Paul was a Roman, they, could, they were forbidden to crucify in, in killing a Roman citizen. That's why we believe Paul's head was probably chopped off. But in 1 Peter 2, listen to what Peter says, verse 13 to 17, Paul, uh, Peter tells us, Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be for the emperor as supreme, at Caesar, or to governors, as sent by him, what? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Why? Why? Because he's God's person there to carry out uh, his will and to be a suppression to evil, like we saw in Boston this week, hunting down uh, murderous uh, men that cause maim and, and bloodshed and loss of life. And we're glad that they're there. And they need to be supported. They, if, if we don't support them, they're not there when we call 911 and all the rest. There may be a lot of baggage and stuff we don't like about it, as I'm sure was true with Caesar and Paul and Peter. They're like, I didn't vote for Rome. I hate Rome. In the context of this, the Lord is saying, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar because it's God's plan and program to suppress evil in a fallen world. Something, what are some things that we owe our earthly governments or earthly, in our earthly citizenship? Well, number one, taxes. We're to pay our taxes. Nobody likes to pay taxes. That's my, my least favorite check I write. You go like, yeah, yippee, I, I get to pay more taxes this year. You know, I've never met anybody, uh, you know, this side of an insane asylum that says, yippee, I get this. That's, that's a painful check to write, isn't it? But we're under the Lord's obligation and command to pay our taxes and to do it honestly and forthright uh, in supporting his servants. And that's what that Romans 13 passage reminds us, that they are, they are actually ministers, is the word, uh, diakonos, servants or ministers who uh, serve the Lord uh, in the civil government. They're responsible for the physical things of life, property, life, uh, disputes, these kind of things they're responsible for, and that's why Paul says in Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, he who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive the approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, you better be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So on, therefore be subject unto them. Well, we're to pay our taxes. Jesus absolutely requires us to pay to the support the government. 
The second thing, what's another obligation? We're to pray for our, our national leaders, not only with our monies, but second, we're to pray. We're under obligation. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 1, that we are to pray, first of all, uh, at the, to pray for our governing authorities. Let me read that. 1 Timothy 2, 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Then he begins, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. We're to pray for our government. We're to pray collectively when we gather as a church to remember our president, the courts, the legislators, the ex and those that carry out the dictates, the bureaucracy, the state, the governor, the legislators, the, the state court system, local governors, even as we work through the process in our township. And Pennsylvania has a lot of township governorship uh, that we need to pray for those who are elected officials with that. We express sometimes frustration in a, on our level. That's only because it's new and I don't live in that world. But to pray for them for wisdom, they have a, they have a big issue in hand. I mean, think about it, really. Just take a, take a step and think. How would you like to try and fix things that at least make them work in a broken, fallen, selfish dying world. I mean, it's beyond. The problems are really beyond our ability until the Lord comes and establishes the increase of his government. I mean, they're dealing with something that's a no-win, right? I mean, the problems are so Gordian, not twisted together. Now you dissect it and figure out. I mean, it's beyond human ability. They need the wisdom of God. And, and even if they are unbelievers and have no profession of faith, we have to pray that God gives them wisdom as he, they carry out and discharge his responsibilities that provide protection and promote the, uh, uh, the well-being, the common good here in our country and in our local government. And so we're to pray for wisdom, for self-restraint, these things. Third, what, what do we have? We're to pray, uh, we're to give to Caesar by practicing civil obedience. Can we say that? It almost rolls off our tongue. We want to say civil disobedience because we're part of that 60s generation and later, and that's about all we ever hear was civil disobedience. But I'm talking civil obedience. That means that the manner of our life is that we obey the laws. I had a friend, Dan Stenzi. Dan was, uh, went to seminary, pastor for a little bit, then he went to law school. And, uh, and he has a, some practice out in Omaha now. And uh, Dan <clears throat> struggled with eating and struggled with a lot of areas. And one, one day, I, I passed him on 81. I was headed up to Clark Summit. And there, I just blew right by him. And, uh, and I looked back, I said, could that be Dan? And, and then I finally saw him up in Clark Summit. I go like, Dan, how come you're going so slow on the interstate? And he goes like, well, it's like this. <clears throat> he says, my life is out of control in so many areas. I figure if I just take one area and obey the law, that'll help me in other areas. <laughs> so, like, instantly I felt conviction. <laughs> Do you remember that, Faith? Yeah. Holy cow. But there's a general flavor to our life. We're not anti-disestablishmentarianism people. I love that word because in second grade, it's the longest word in the English language. I go, oh, what's that? I've got to learn how to spell that, right? 
civil obedience. It ought to be the mark of our life. Right? It ought to be. There's such a re rebelliousness in our heart, you know. Sense of justice, I'm going to get mine. Everyone else is doing it, and so we get sloppy in that. And we owe, we owe our obedience, our honor to the law and uh, to, our, to the local governing authorities. Whether we say, well, I didn't vote for that law or that regulation. Well, then work to change it. We live where you have a voice, and you can do that. Unless it is contrary to the word of God, it ought to be the mark of our life that we obey it. You know, like you, you decide for yourself there in Acts, is it right to obey God than, than man? There are a few times where that happens. Then you have to peacefully, lovingly submit to the Lord and not obey man. But let me say that those are few and far between. They really are few and far between. If they demand that you execute and kill your, your male child that's born and abort that, then you do what Moses' mother and father did. You believe God, trust him, and you don't have your male son Moses killed. You, you pray and you do what you can, and God had him in the bulrushes, and you remember that, you see? You're resisting that. But as a matter of course, civil obedience. You have to focus on saying that because it's so much just roll out. When I first started thinking, I wrote disobedience, civil disobedience. Just, we hear it so much and it feeds our rebellious nature. Civil obedience. What's the fourth thing? Fourth thing we owe is render participation uh, in, uh, in public life, in service. You know, I, uh, we, we're so privileged to vote. You know, I know all of you vote, and I'm glad to know that. And you vote with uh, being informed. And if you don't, you need to vote. You have, you, have a, you have a voice. Someday you may not have a voice. Vote. Vote. It's persuasion. Military service, you know. You know, uh, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. There are times when, uh, I know it's a volunteer situation now, but it may change even more. And uh, the government calls on us. Do what you have to, but military is an honorable way to participate in public life and service. I, I appreciate it. I thank the military. I saw, uh, I talked to a man Friday night uh, over here not too far, and he told, was telling me he was 18 months in Afghanistan and a year in, uh, in Iraq, and he didn't want to go back to the Persian Gulf ever again. <laughs> and it gave me an opportunity to thank him. Thank you for serving our country, for standing watch. You know, and it, may, and it may be, and that's an honorable thing to do, uh, to, uh, to serve in the military. And we appreciate our parents. Brenda, I think of your dad, your dad being a master sergeant. I mean, those guys about ran the force, and uh, they, were, they were like the field generals for sure, and others. Some of you others are, are, are the same. So participate. Hold public office. That's an honorable thing to do. If we don't have good men and women running for office, what are we going to end up with? There was a period of time when my father ran for city commissioner was elected. He found out this, the chief of police was corrupt. He's in 36 years, and he worked to have him fired. And it was a pretty terrible time. And uh, as a result of that, my father did not win re-election, uh, although we tried. The kids campaigned all over, but... It became a nasty, nasty, holy cow, oh, scary, scary situation. But I was gone. My father said, what do you mean? It's not right. He's gone. He's been 37 years. It doesn't matter. He was, some of you don't believe in the mafia, Larry, I don't know if, you know, but he was mafioso. <laughs> 
But anyway, in our small little city, he was gone. Public office. If good people don't are willing to run, just think how they get bludgeoned. They need our prayers and support. I mean, it's like the, the media just tears them apart and makes them out like they're the Jack the Ripper or something horrible. And, and it, it keeps good men and women down from serving public office. How about speaking out on issues, writing a, an editorial, speak as a private citizen, and at times we as a church need to take a stand uh, on, on moral issues that are uh, in play and say, this is not right. And when, it, when it's those issues of life and death and uh, those kind of things. So we have uh, the lesser argument. We have a God-ordained responsibility to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar, the coins. It's got his image on it. Give it to him. But second, the greater, and that's the second governing realm in the Christian life. As Christians, we have an even greater obligation to give God what is his. And Jesus goes on, but, or not but, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Jesus tells both and, not either or, and to God. It shows that we have obligations uh, to both uh, human government and to God. It's not one or the other. It's not a yes and a no. It only takes a moment to see that God owns absolutely everything. Everything, our next breath, our energy, our life, our talents, our abilities, our resources, our salaries, our properties, our tomorrows, all of them are on loan from God. On loan from God. For Romans 11.30, I have it on a sheet, uh, 11.36, Paul reminds the Roman Christians, for from him, he's the source, and through him, he's the agent, and to him, he's the goal of all things, everything. The reality is, uh, everything uh, that belonged to Caesar actually belonged to God. Did you ever think about that? Everything is really God's kingdom. Is this human uh, agent kingdom here on earth temporary to suppress evil and promote good, to keep a terror upon wicked men that would uh, do horrible things if there were not an authority around? But everything that Caesar owned actually is God's. When they carried uh, Caesar out, he was the poorest man in his kingdom. He had nothing, no pockets, no gold, no anything. Nada, 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 nothing. Everything he had was on loan from God. It's the right way to think about it. And, and even though Caesar's face is on the, his coin, uh, God actually owned it, for it was part of God's greater economy. I heard Tony Evans preaching. You ever listen to Tony Evans? He's, he's a hoot. He is such a great, great, great preacher. I, makes me laugh. My son David loves him. He gets all his... Uh, recordings and, and so on and great. I just caught him the other week. He was preaching on the fact that we've got sources and we got resources. I go like, where is he going with this? We got all sorts of resources. Resource. We got resources in our savings, resources in our ability, resources in our job, resources in the cupboards at home, resources, resources, resources. But don't think that that's your source. There's only one source that you have, and it's the source of all the resources. And if that one resource is empty and full, that source will give you another resource. I guess it's starting to sound like Tony Evans. It was so great. It ministered such grace to me. I go, hey, man, he's right. And if you're trusting the resource, you're in trouble. They run out, or this or that, or they disappoint. 
But all the source, all that we have, all the resources channeled from the one source, and that's God Himself. He is the source of all resources. Isn't that great? That's what He's saying here. And so, too, as we pay our taxes and we pray for our governing authorities and practice civil obedience and participate in public life, we're doing it all as Christians in the glory of God. All of it. Don't separate your public life from your religious life, your Christian life. Now, we believe in the separation of church and state. It's one of the teachings of the Scripture. The state should not have a church state, uh, a, a state church. There are a lot of countries that do that. Uh, the Scotland, the Presbyterian, is the state church there. And the taxes that the people pay support the pastors in Scotland in the Presbyterian churches. In England itself, it's the Church of England, or we think of it as the Episcopalian Church. When the war came along, it separated the Revolutionary War, and they're the Episcopalian, that's really the Church of England, which Henry VIII, which is really the Roman Catholic Church, they wouldn't grant him a, a divorce from his wife, who couldn't give him a male son, remember? So he said to the Catholic Church, you're out, Pope, I'm the guy now. And so the king became the head of what was the Catholic Church in England, and he renamed it the Church of England. He's the keeper of it. And uh, the, the, uh, the Canterbury, he's the, he's the head guy there under the king. And the ta taxes that the people pay in England support the clergy. And you go, well, why are the churches empty? Well, people figure that out real quick. In Germany, it's... It's both. You have in the south, it's the Roman Catholic Church. In the north, it's the, it's the Lutheran Church, state church. And we believe that the, the church and state needs to be separate. Separate. And we, we flourished in that. And it was written into the First Amendment that Congress shall make no law establishing a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And, uh, and so we go like, great. It's not religious toleration. In other words, there's one state and we'll put up and allow you to do your little thing. It's religious freedom. We're all on equal ground, you see. And persuasion and the Spirit of God working and establishing churches. It's the way it should be. The government takes care of the physical things, the living things here on earth, body, and that, those kind of issues and related, and the church takes care of the soul and the spirit and things eternal. One is temporal, one is now but forever. Uh, the church dealing with spiritual realities and so on. <clears throat> so, in any event, uh, separation of church and state, yes, but not separation of God and state. Huge difference there. Think about that. And you'll get the gist of it, I, I hope. All right, Jesus refused to bow at Caesar's throne. One man wrote, this happens to be Abraham Kuyper, uh, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over, does not cry out, Mine! It is all the Lord's. All of it. He is the creator, sustainer. It's all for his glory. And so Jesus refused to bow at Caesar's throne, and you and I ought to do the same. We pay honor and, and, uh, to them, for honor is due, but that doesn't mean worship. We worship only the Lord. Only the Lord. Well, what do we owe God, then, you say, in conclusion? Well, we owe him everything. 
<laughs> really, think about it. You say, well, this little area over here is mine. God doesn't get that. Are you kidding me? Everything, everything in your pocket, everything in your possession, everything that, that has a, a label on it with your name. It ought to be like a stick'em label. You just take it off, put someone else's name on it after a little bit anyway. It's, it's not, everything we have is not ours to keep. I say that over and over and over because we go like, yeah, that's true. But the reality of that needs to sink in. Everything we have, our moments, our time, our treasury, our bodies, all of it is to be used for the glory of God. It's his. It's his. And when you live that way truly, the joy of the Lord, not holding on, you see, all of a sudden you go like, Lord, hey, that's yours, Lord. You know, that doesn't mean we're not prudent. But we're not worrying about it, you know? All that stuff, right? Stuff is stuff. It's God's stuff. Lord, it's yours. Take care of it, you know? That happened to me. I was uh, down at Baltimore Airport, and uh, Faith and I were there early, and we parked in one of those long-term parkings where you get, you know, they bus you in then, you know, seven bucks a day or something. You're you're out 10 miles away or something, something like that. You know how that works? And uh, we were there. I don't know what time, Faith, we went down. Three in the morning. I don't know. I was half tired. Jump out of the car. Then the, the bus pulled up right at that time. You know, like, oh, my. No. He, and we're, if we miss that, it's 20 minutes, right? So we're throwing bags out and all that. And, and uh, we're going to the airport then. And all I suddenly going like, I don't think I locked the car. Oh, you get that sick feeling like that, right? <laughs> and, I, and I did. I said, Lord, you know what? That's your car. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, that, we were going to Florida then. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm giving it to you. I put the thing in my envelope, and by God's grace, must, it might have been a sign of a good getaway too. I never thought about it again until we were coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. We were coming back, and in the bus, the guy in the front's telling Faith and I this story. He says, hey, you can't believe it. He goes, like, what? He said, in our parking lot, somebody left the car on, and it's been running for days. I go, like, where was it? And he's starting to describe it. I'm going, holy cow, I'm like, holy mackerel. And you know what? It wasn't my car. It was right next to it. And I got out, and I opened my car door, and it, I indeed had not locked it. I go like, oh, Lord, it's your car, you know? And, you know, we say we need to do that with our kids and grandkids. We don't do that often. Oftentimes we bear their burdens. I go like, Lord, they're yours. You know, I give them to you again. This is like 100,000 time now. They're yours. They're not mine. They're yours. They're yours. They're yours. You know, like... <laughs> They're yours. Everything we have. Are, and what do we mean by that? Uh, uh, why, why do we say that? Because God is, the uh, Lord is really saying, look, you bear the image of God. That little coin with a Caesar, eh, that's Caesar. Give it to him. You bear the image and mark of God. You're so much more valuable than that piece of metal. Give your life, give it all to God. Let me show you. One more rep. Look at Genesis 1. Uh, there in, the early, in chapter 1, verse 26 and 7, when God made Adam and Eve, you know, give to God that which is God. You and I bear the very mark and image of God in our, our, our bodies and, and soul. Verse Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is, we're personality. We're personal, not stuff. 
impersonal, lifeless thing. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the likeness of God he created him male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over, so on and so forth. We bear the image of God, even in a fallen world, even fallen creatures. The Imago Dei, the likeness of God, is upon us, and we're to give. So what's it mean? We give our bodies, right, Under your, on your sheet? Yeah, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, your eyes, your ears, uh, your hands, Lord, say, here they are. Take my life and let it be that beautiful song. I take it and give it to you. Our homes, places of rest and respite, a place of encouragement to those that need to be brought in, have a meal, maybe a place to sleep. We, Lord, my home is your home. I'm here for our time. That's probably our most precious thing. Money is just coin time, really. That's all it is. We trade our time for a certain wage, and it comes as a check, or they put it in. There. That's coin time, and our time is is so limited, and we say, Lord, I give you my time today. Thank you for the day. One day it'll be all over. It belongs all to God for his glory. Use it. Use it for him. He made us. He cares for us. He cared for you before you even knew you, uh, your name and, and, and figured it out when you're in fifth, five years old and it finally started coming to you. Wait a minute. <laughs> You know, how far? It's amazing. We don't, it's probably good. We don't, you ever think, I don't live back, uh, remember when we were like two or three? Like, any of you remember that, anything back there? No. You do? Yeah. What, did you fall down, hit your head or something? No. I, it had to be something traumatic or you'd never, I don't think. How old were you when you fell out of the car on the bridge, Mark? Do you remember that? You do remember that? Dottie, did you open the door on that one? <laughs> it's a good thing we don't remember that stuff, right? Yeah. But God took care of us way back then when we didn't know anything. He's cared for us all the way. He'll care for us all the way. He cares for our needs. The Lord is our share. He shed his blood for us. And so I ask, what will you render to, to God? What will you give to God? What will you give to God for the sake of the Savior? For the sake of the Savior who gave his body for you on Calvary's tree. Lessons for our life. Number one, if you're a Christian, you are a citizen uh, of heaven as well as a citizen of an earthly realm. Probably the United States. Your heavenly citizenship will last forever. Even as the earthly one fades into oblivion. Relish in your heavenly citizen, citizenship even as Paul did in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, he reminds uh, the Philippian believers. One day America will be no more, but heaven will be forever. That was one day, you know, in the Amazon, I took a uh, trip inland to visit tribes at one point when I was 17. And it was a funny experience to come into a village of really poor people, Indians, and uh, to talk to them through trans... They never even heard of the United States of America. That was kind of like a... You never, never, there, there are people that had never heard. You know, there's coming a day when it'll, it'll go into oblivion and it will be no more. But your citizenship in heaven is forever in Jesus. Isn't that great? Number two, as Christians, you should be the best of all earthly citizens. 
The manner of your life should be to obey human laws, for you know that God has ordained the powers that are for the good of mankind. Pay your taxes, uphold the law, encourage others to do the same. Encourage them. Encourage them. Wherever God's people have been in a nation, the nation's been blessed. Why? They tend to work very hard. They're industrious. They're not goof-offs. They show up. They work hard. They, they spend less than they make, and so there's savings and resources growing and developing. Uh, uh, people mind their business, raise their families. There's that goodness that happens in family, in nations that have larger and increasing pockets of believers. Do you, do you think China's like that today? China, they, they estimate have 50 to 60 million believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, some of them being persecuted and hunted down, but the, the flavor of that church is growing and the prosperity of, the, of that Asian nation is growing and growing and growing. Wow. Number three, if you're a citizen of heaven... Give to the Lord Jesus everything you have in a simple prayer. Lord, I give everything I have to you, my children, my time, my, I give everything. My, my bank account, my job, you strategically have placed me, you've given me parents or teachers or all of these operations, my health to this moment, medical care. I even thank the Lord. I still thank the Lord when I'm on a, that mode a weekly for uh, uh, two hips in the same socket. You know, like, Lord, thank you for that. Not too many years ago, you were, you were confined to uh, a wheelchair. And uh, praise God for that. So give, to, give that to the Lord, your breath, your time, your money, everything in a simple prayer of faith. It's not yours to keep, it's yours to use. Number four, enjoy your dual citizenship. I say enjoy it. Blessed, uh, we are so blessed as Americans who know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Certainly twice blessed. Wouldn't you agree? Wow. Twice blessed. What a legacy we have. What a foundation we stand on. I wonder if the Lord tarries what it'll look like, what we'll hand down to our kids and to their kids. And number five and last, hey, here's the good news. Citizenship uh, window is now open. You hear a lot about that with immigration uh, in the media and all that, but it's now open. This heavenly citizen is open and taking applications. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, turn from it, he'll receive you today, this moment, and grant you a heavenly citizenship. Oh, I'd urge you to do that. Wow. God and King, so in a far better way than my childhood friend, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you too are a citizen of two places. The United States, and not Canada, United States, and not something else. United States, if you're a citizen here, and of heaven, which will be forever. Praise God. Let's stand and be dismissed, shall we? Father, thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful word. I thank you for it. It gives such clarity. It's convicting, Lord. We hate to pay taxes, but now we discover, wait a minute, that's your way of funding the, uh, those that govern and suppress evil and, and do all kinds of things, Lord, whether right or wrong. Lord, we have a voice and can speak, and may we do our civil obedience. And Lord, help us to be the kind of citizens that bring praise to our God. For we shall not separate uh, our faith from government or politics. For our all truth is God's truth, and we believe that with all our heart. We, we, we will render to Caesar the things that are... And we give to you, Lord, everything, ourselves, and our whole lives. 
and pray that you'd use us as ambassadors for Jesus. Lord, make us a blessing to everyone we should meet this week as we leave this place now and bring us back refreshed, looking forward to serving you and worshiping even next Sunday. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Just a word, uh, Larry. Just You don't need to do any chairs today. There's a Boy Scout group coming in, going to honor an Eagle Scout. And they've asked us to leave it set up except for the red chairs. So uh, thank you. God bless. Have a great week.